Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, Season Review Part 4, Tales from the Portal, Back to the Portal, if we want to go back to the Future Trilogy. Um, I don't know, Eric, it's been a wild time, but the Gators make two more editions since our last recording. I think on our last show, we actually predicted, uh, I think you predicted that we'd have to record one like immediately after. I'm not saying you knew anything at all. I'm just saying that that's the way it turned out. It was indeed the next day when Myron Jones of Penn State committed to Florida. Um, tell us what the Gators got in Myron Jones. I know you wrote an article about it at Gator Country. Yeah, I mean, whenever you can add a guy who's a, a proven high major contributor, I mean, that's that's pretty huge. Like, I, I so much of what you're doing in the transfer portal often is looking at these these often mid majors, sometimes low major players, and you're just wondering like, hey, what can they what can they do when they come up to the high major level? Um, and that's obviously why I was pretty interested in, in doing some of the predictions I did for Anthony Deruji and Tyree Appleby, and what I just kind of found through that process. And you just see anecdotally is just so many of these players they come to the high major level and yeah they're not the 17 or 18 point per game guys that they are on the mid-major level they're probably more like a 9 or a 10 or 11 point guy at the high major level so to get uh, to get myron jones a player that scored 15 a game for for penn state that's that's pretty impressive i i, I mean for him i think it just uh kind of starts with everything with his shooting ability uh it's actually pretty crazy i mean i, I I would not say like watching his clips and then watching Noah Locke, which I think is the comparison that's going to be hard not to make. Um, you definitely would think that Noah Locke is, you know, the, the the better shooter. But when you look at their numbers, man, over the last two years, uh, Myron Jones is 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 right there for for percentages. And I, I didn't mention on our show the one thing with him. Um, he's got a very funky shooting release. It's kind of like the the Kevin Martin, if you're that vintage. Um, UCLA Lonzo Ball would be the the closest, where he he really brings it. He right handed shooter over from the left side of his body. It's pretty hitchy. Um, I don't love it, but uh, man, he's uh, he shot a good percentage. And uh, the thing that I did mention on the last podcast is. Uh, he's very prone because of that inconsistent shooting stroke. He is very prone to really hot shooting nights and really cold shooting nights, uh, which would be like the difference between him and Noah Locke, where like Noah Locke was like so consistently uh, kind of the same. He never like really, really heated up, never really got cold. Where, yeah, Myron Jones, he had some, you know, two for 10 games, one for nine games, uh, but he also would go five for six or six for eight. So uh, there's going to be a little bit of that with, with Myron Jones. Um, he's also someone who takes a lot of tough shots in the mid-range, uh, hits a lot of tough shots in the mid-range, uh, but takes a lot of them. So he, there's definitely going to be games where I think we're going to come on the podcast and be, be a little bit frustrated because he's probably going to go 0 for 5 from 3 and take five mid-range jump shots and hit one of them. Uh, but, man, there are going to be games where, where he explodes. So uh, definitely uh, a bit of a, uh, an explosive offensive player would be, uh, would be the way to describe him. Yeah, I, you know, I agree. Anytime you get the guy who was second in the in the Big Ten and had he stayed, would have been the returning three point sh- the returning leader in three point shoot per- shooting percentage uh, in the in the Big Ten. That's that's impressive. I saw some people say hey, Penn State wasn't that good. I think it's a little more complicated than that. Um, they played a top five strength of schedule uh, in the country, and um, you know. Ended up 11 and 14, lost a bunch of close games. Certainly wasn't anything that that Byron Jones necessarily did. And the other thing is, he's from the South. When he hopped in the portal, pretty much everybody uh, in in the SEC went after him because they thought, oh, he just he wants to get closer to home for his senior season. Um, and I think 
certainly a lot of truth to that uh, based on his interest list, but Florida does beat out Alabama, who I think viewed him as a replacement for John Petty. That's the kind of shooter they thought he was. Uh, and they beat out LSU, which anytime you can do that. Um, I don't know if Florida has done that. <laughs> we, we don't need to go down that rabbit hole, but obviously a, a good pickup for Florida. Where do you see him fitting in defensively? Um, like maybe if, if he's viewed as the replacement for Noah Locke, let's put it in that framing. Yeah, if to, to continue that uh... – that comparison for context, which I do think is helpful. Um, I would say he's a worse defender than Noah Locke. I was a little bit concerned by by several of the things I saw from him defensively. Uh, Penn State played a very aggressive um, switching defense. Uh, not that they were like super, you know, like jump out into passing lanes on, on switches, but in terms of like they like they truly switched everything. So so much of what he was doing was like like he would be guarding the, the the point we'll say and he would stay up there beyond the three-point line the entire possession because they were truly passing off everything the way that they played and while i don't think that's exclusively because of jones uh there were some other poor defenders on that team uh jones did play a role in that i i don't think he is very explosive i don't think he's a very good athlete and uh, he does have some decent size, and there were some matchups, especially in the, the Big Ten, where there's some more physical guards that wanted to try to uh, you know drive through him or take a try to try to dribble him down to the mid post area, and he was able to kind of remain remain stout and, and use use some of his size there. But uh, there's not as many of those matchups in, in in the SEC. There's a lot more speedy guards that he's going to have to try to hang with. Um, so I will say some uh, some concerning things I would say with him defensively. I do think he is. Uh, uh, going to need to be somewhere in that that 15 point per game type range. Maybe not quite that, but um, but well, I, I, again, I'd say he's um, slightly. You know, he scored more than Noah Locke. Um, I do think he has the ability to 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 score at least attack a closeout and and, and finish in the mid range a little bit better than than Locke. Uh, but I do think he's a worse defender. I know we had some times this past season um, where it was like, oh man, maybe they need to play Noah Locke a little bit less if his three point shot isn't falling. Um, that's going to be the you know the the defense is is I, I think going to be an issue at times. So yeah, I do think he's going to be someone who's going to need to score the ball. But uh, what did you what did you see, Neil? Yeah, no, I would agree. I don't think he's as fundamentally sound as Noah is. Like I feel like a lot of times on the podcast we would talk about how Noah was in pretty good defensive position and got out athleted, uh, and I I worry about that a little bit transitioning to the SEC. Look, when you're Mr. Basketball in the state of Alabama and you go to a Big Ten program that's not like necessarily like a, you know, it's a Big Ten program that hadn't, they were going to go to the NCAA tournament last year and then there wasn't one, but they had a really significant NCAA tournament drought, Eric. And so it's not a premier program in the Big Ten. And he left the South to do that. And I don't think, and I think we saw in the NCAA tournament, while the Big Ten is a tremendous basketball league, it's not chock full of athletes like the SEC is. So I do worry about that adjustment. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see Noah Locke defend at Maryland uh, in, in that respect and just see if kind of his ability to play fundamental defense, which we both, I think, think is pretty decent, uh, helps him out a little more there. So I, I am a little bit worried about it. That said, um, I think when you look at three of the four portal pieces that Florida's added, you know, this was the guy they added for scoring. Um, and I think that the staff understands what they're getting defensively, or I would hope that they do. Yeah. Um, first of all, I uh, just, yeah, Louisville for, for Noah Locke, just in case some people, um, 
Um, I've missed that. I know you said Maryland there. I think we could have expected yeah, that. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I did no, say no. Maryland. <laughs> just it, so just in just, case. Just yeah. in case we got some some people uh, tuned in for their first podcast who aren't as dialed in, but I feel like most people here. But no, but anyways, no, but uh, still, your your point totally stands with Noah Locke. But I, I think you're right. I mean, even just reputation wise with with, uh, with Myron Jones from some people I know that are around the Big Ten. Um, yeah, like I mean, it's it's no surprise that he's not a good defender. Like so, there, I don't think the staff would be under any um, any impression that he's a shutdown guy or a lockdown guy. Um, I think it's like like you mentioned. I think the other players that Florida added in the portal are um, projected to be to be better defenders. So I think that that uh, uh, that'll probably work. But yeah, I mean, when we looked at what Florida was replacing and, and what they needed, like, yeah, they needed a, they needed scoring, they needed points. And when you can get a guy, who, and again, we, I know we're looking at his last season where he scored um, 15 points a game, but it wasn't like that was in, um, you know, out, out in the middle of nowhere, uh, his second season, he scored the ball pretty well, 13 points a game. I mean, man, Florida has had some, some good guards this last couple of years who have not gotten to 13 or 15 points a game. And Myron Jones has kind of shown he can do that at the, at the high major level. So uh, yeah, score, um, wouldn't be surprised if he found himself being Florida's leading scorer, depending on the role. Um, and actually, I will say this about his role, something that I find um, pretty interesting. Uh, so Penn State um, used him. And I, I know I tweeted out a couple of these clips, including one where he just broke a guy's ankles. I thought it was the greatest highlight ever. Uh, but they ran him off a lot of screens. Um, and that's, of course, something that we have been kind of calling on the podcast for for the Gators to do for, for Noah Locke. Uh, they never really used him off screens very much at all, um, r- hardly at all, truthfully. Um, well, you know, Myron Jones is someone who showed he can do that really, really well at, at Penn State. Um, and he's not someone who's a great athlete or someone who's particularly good at handling the ball. Um, they're going to need to find him shots. I would just uh, – I would love to see the Gators use him off some screens just because, again, just to see um, – it, like, like we're looking at a guy who scored 15 points per game at, at Penn State, and you say, hey, how can we get that 15 points per game and put it into 15 points per game in the SEC? Well, it's like, well, you know, let's use him how he got those 15 points. Let's let's run him off some screens. Do I think that's going to happen? I mean, it's if we haven't seen it yet for Noah Locke, I, I mean, who knows? But I will be optimistic and, and, and hope that they will um, run him off some screens because, yeah, he was really, really good at that for, for Penn State. Obviously, when they make their assistant coaching hire, that's the first thing that the assistant coach is going to suggest that they do <laughs> for for Myron Jones. So I'm not that worried about it now. And I, I'll stand by my Noah Locke take. I still think that the ACC has less athletes than the SEC. Um, so I will. I am in, I, probably better than the Big Ten, uh, but I do still think you could see an upgrade for, for Noah Locke just by his ability to play fundamental defense there. Um, I doubt he's going to play much point guard. And speaking of that, uh, I would note, I would note, note, that's not a word. I would note that Myron Jones, um, I think is a, a better passer from what I've seen than Noah Locke too. So I think he, he adds a little bit of that component. And if you believe in just the assist in a vacuum statistic, divorced from the style of offense and, and whatever, uh, whether or not you're really the secondary ball handler like Jones was, uh, at Penn State, I mean, the assist numbers bear out that he's a much better passer than Noah Locke, averaging almost three times as many assists per game uh, than Locke over the course of his career. 
Yeah, I saw the assist numbers and probably hoped that he was going to be a little bit more of a, a ball handler and distributor, distributor than he than he was. Um, but at the same time, it was almost like impressive that he had those amounts of assists without being someone who can really handle the ball or that I thought was a yeah. great passer. Um, yeah, I went through and watched all his assists and a lot of it was uh, like just, you know, some pretty basic. Maybe he gets a guy in the air and he passes it, swings it one pass away and a guy like it's the three which is great uh nothing wrong with that but uh, he wasn't like someone who was great in the pick and roll um he wasn't someone right. who got an outlet off a defensive rebound push it up the floor um but uh but as you mentioned i mean raw assist numbers when he's when you're that much higher than someone like noah Locke, and and again i mean that's been one of the problems for florida on the whole is that they just have not gotten assists from players that aren't their point guard and they haven't gotten those assists from their shooting guards who aren't primary initiators or, or even great passers so um yeah it's, it, it, it could be an element but yeah i think some people might look at that those assist numbers and say like oh maybe there's a guy you can place some backup point guard i uh, know that it will not be the case with with myron jones but um yeah there hopefully will be some moments where he gets some of those assist numbers unlike what we've seen from from players like uh like a noah lock or even a Kayvon allen these last couple of years yeah, I, mean, I think Penn State had him as a secondary ball handler some this season out of necessity uh, and part of the roster deficiencies that, that they had. I don't think that those things are why there was a coaching change at Penn State. Um, you know, there, there's a lot more that goes into that. But um, in any event, I uh, don't think he'll be asked to do that at Florida either based on what's happened Uh in the transfer portal, but I think a really good pickup, pretty much a consensus top 25 guy in the portal uh, on any list that you would look at. So uh, just another nice get for Mike White. And again, I, like I said, a, a guy that's got familiarity with the South and some of the players in the SEC he'll have played against uh, as a prep player, um, having been Mr. Basketball in the state of Alabama. So uh, you have to be pretty excited about it on the whole, Eric. Yeah, and uh, also just should be noted, a lot of people uh, say that he's a great character guy, and a lot of people came and spoke out about uh, uh, how much they love him as a kid, some former coaches, some some people that, that covered him for Penn State. Uh, so definitely also seems to be a very consensus, just good dude, and uh, you can never have enough of those guys. So uh, that's worth pointing out too. Another guy that's from the South, uh, actually grew up in Athens, Georgia, is the other portal edition. Uh Flandris Fleming, who was pretty much the guy at Charleston Southern uh, on a terrible team. He was the the ray of light, the guy that you would have turned on the Charleston Southern game on ESPN Plus to watch. Um, let's talk a little bit about Flandris Fleming, who has to be on immediately on the all-SEC name team. Oh, absolutely. Uh, could be All-American, truthfully. So, uh, uh, yeah, very cool. I mean, you mentioned he's from the South. I mean, like, I, with a name like Flandris Fleming, I, I <laughs> could have guessed. Um, yeah, but, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, those, uh, man, uh, after watching some big South games and some Charleston Southern games, that was rough. Uh, that level of basketball is not awesome. Um, I think people are going to see, obviously, his 20 points per game. And uh, I think he had 17 per game the year prior, somewhere in that range. Um, man, those numbers are pretty juiced from him just getting a whole lot of shots up um, for a team that was very bad at the bottom of a bad conference. And uh, not not to start the, the the Fleming discussion with just, like, how bad the competition level is. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's like they were, like, I, they were in the 330s on Ken Palm. Um, and they only won two Division One games. And I think one was by one point 
in regulation and one was by one point in overtime. So I think that they won two games last season by a combined two points. So, uh, yeah, they were pretty close to, uh, you know, the golden sombrero of, of just zero division one wins. Uh, so anyways, definitely a tough level of basketball. Um, but man, he found a way to, to put up points, um, really physical six foot four, 210 pounds, uh, someone who rebounded the heck out of the ball. I mean, he was someone again at that level who played, uh, played some power forward for them, um, was still like, I mean, even in that league, that's still undersized at the four, but, uh, but yeah, it was a really productive rebounder. Um, someone who loves to shoot the three, he had like eight, two point attempts per game and eight, three point attempts per game. Um, his percentages were not great, but he was doing a whole lot of chucking for a really bad team. So, uh, this is, I would say the most interesting player that Florida has gotten from both a style of play standpoint, as well as, uh, projecting what he can do at Florida. Yeah. I, you know, I really agree. What I, what I immediately thought of when they did it was that they got a guy who knows how to score baskets. And I think that, you know, hopefully they, they have a role for him. That's like, he's a balanced scoring option off the bench. Who's also pretty big. And like you said, is a guy that can really dig down and rebound, which, you know, so much of playing fast in my DNA is for Mike White seems to be about what were Florida's best transition opportunities consistently on the season. It was when somebody that was somewhat competent dribbling the basketball could dig down and get a rebound, whether it was Trey Mann, heck, even Scotty Lewis, if he had a guard there, he could immediately give the ball to and then sprint. Um, which is a little different, but still it's a way to do it. Uh, you know, we didn't see much of what we wanted to see, which was Scotty just dribbling himself and attacking the middle of the floor until someone stopped him, which would have been nice. But I do think Flanders Fleming can do that based on what I watched. You know, the, the most video I could find of him that I thought was the best was him against Dayton a year ago. And Charleston Southern lost this game by 30 points, Eric. But I would encourage – anyone that has access to try to find some of this video or he has 13 points in this game, five assists, eight rebounds, uh, which is a pretty heady stat number against a team that was going to be a one seed uh, in the NCAA tournament. And I mean, he didn't, his offensive rating wasn't great. He wasn't making many shots, but like, I love the way he attacked. And I think that Florida off the bench needs a guy like that that is just going to come in and attack. Maybe he can draw contact. Maybe he can get to the free throw line. You saw some of the ridiculous numbers he put up this season in a bad league, but in games where he would consistently shoot 10, 12, 14 free throws, Eric, uh, you know, and, and that kind of thing is, is really valuable. I mean, shoot. Uh, I know a lot of people blame referees and, and I certainly had my qualms with some of the things they did in the Oral Roberts game, but it sure would have been nice to like put pressure on a, on a team like Oral Roberts a little more and get to the foul line like Arkansas was able to do in the second half. Uh, Florida wasn't able to do that. So what I think I like most about it is just another balanced scorer. And you start looking at this team where we wondered where the scoring is coming from, honestly. And now it's, they've got a bunch of guys that can kind of find buckets. I almost wonder if we're starting to look a little bit like these uh, LSU teams uh, of recent where they didn't really have a traditional point guard, but they always had three perimeter players on the floor who could score. And again, I will call Tyree Appleby a true point guard, um, but 
say he's on he's on the bench and it's Brandon McKissick, it's Myron Jones, and it's and it's uh, uh, Flanders Fleming. I mean, it's like not a true point guard out there, but three guys who can kind of capably um, dribble the ball a little bit and and, and make some plays. Or um, and and that's just what I probably most look forward to with the guys that have that have come. Is like yeah, have if you've got Brandon McKissick at the two and you've got Flanders Fleming at the three, um, you just having some some secondary and, and tertiary playmakers, and that's just something that Florida is so dearly. Lacked and and they're going to bring it and um, again I, I do think it's interesting Neil that you kind of alluded several times there that uh, you'd like Flanders Fleming off the bench because I know that there's people that are going to look at his 20 points per game and think there there's a guy who can come in and, and be a primary option and yeah I, I don't think that's the case with Fleming I like like even beyond the style of or the the caliber of play in the Big South um, something with him that I don't love and I think I actually alluded to this like maybe on the Brandon McKissick podcast where I, I suggested that I liked the way that I, I liked how he was going to project because Brandon McKissick had stuff on catch and shoot. He scored off cuts. He did stuff that I could see him doing at, at the sec level. When you look at Flanders Fleming, so he shot eight threes a game. I think six of them are off the bounce. I, as a 30, I think he shot 33 or 34% off the dribble, which from three, which is actually pretty good. It was his numbers catch and shooting off three, which were, uh, bad and that's why he was like a 32 percent overall shooter but yeah like do you want that guy taking that many shots a game uh no so that part of his his game isn't going to translate and then um a lot of what uh, like you said neil he was just the most physical guard on the floor and he would just go against smaller guards and just pound them into the paint bury them under the rim and get fouled or or score tough physical layups and it's just like i don't see that happening much at the sec level again like there will be times where he'll have that opportunity uh there'll be times he he is able to still have a physical advantage and get to the hoop but like i I just look at the way he scored 20 points per game and it's like just going through his clips watching him watching him on synergy and and all that it's like um you know i'm seeing him get all these shots off the dribble i'm like well you're probably not getting too many of those at florida and then i see him um getting a half a step on a defender not great then just turning putting his hip into him uh pushing him under the rim pushing him under the rim pushing him under under the rim turning around layup and scoring i'm like well you're probably not getting that at florida so there is there's plenty of parts of his game that would suggest that I don't think he is going to be uh yeah just probably not or I shouldn't say probably maybe not a starting level SEC player um but at the same time maybe it's like hey he saw his advantages at that level um and he'll he'll ad- adapt to the next level he plays at I'll be really interested to see and th- those are those are why why uh, you know I alluded to why he's going to be the most interesting player to try to project because because of the caliber of play that there was in the Big South, and even his style of play uh, is just not what I see him being as a, I guess we'll call him a role player at Florida. So, um, yeah, like, could he start at the three? Maybe. Um, But, yeah, Neil, I think I might be with you where right now I'd see him as a player who can come off the bench. And, uh, hey, that's awesome because I would say, you know, a starter you don't feel – you know, great about maybe he's okay as a starter, good as a starter, uh, but you can feel really good about him off the bench. So uh, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, like, look at the way that Arkansas used Note this year. Um, and, like, you know, I think he started a handful of games because Eric Misselman just rotates his starting lineup because he's going to play nine, ten guys. But Florida's going to play nine, ten guys this season. And that's what I mean by balanced scoring. And I think that that's useful. By the way, I was able to get Pat Kelsey to respond to me when I asked him about Flanders Fleming because I had to find somebody that had played him that like people will know Pat Kelsey, the former head coach at Winthrop who just left uh, for quote unquote greener pastures. 
Um, but uh, Pat Kelsey's response was he's just tenacious, uh, tenacious and really physical on the glass. Uh, those were the two things that came to mind. And I look back and, you know, he had 33 against Winthrop this year uh, and eight rebounds in one game as a, as a, the year prior, as a sophomore, he had a 20 point 13 game, 13 rebound game against Winthrop. So like, that's the best team in that league. And he's playing pretty well against them. Not that Winthrop is a team that would compete in the SEC night in and night out, but they were certainly a fancy pick to beat Villanova in the NCAA tournament and played them a very good game uh, in the first round before losing. And I, you know, if that's the kind of piece you bring off your bench, that's fine. Um, I'm, yeah, I really don't think that this is a guy that you want starting and playing 28 minutes, but I don't think that's what Florida's going to ask him to do. And, and then the other thing that I'm excited about other than balance, and I think I mentioned this on Twitter uh, or sent it to Eric, I forget which one, but, you know, he's just another guy that makes Florida older. I mean, this is a program that had one senior in the last two seasons, and that was Kerry Blackshear. And then this year, of course, uh, they lose their captain uh, and their best player uh, in the fourth game. So now – I mean, they're chock full of seniors and and upperclassmen, Eric. Yeah, that's huge. Uh, and I'm just I'm really interested to see when it comes to uh, like yeah, Florida's let some some games slip that they had leads in these last couple of years. Do I think that some of that was execution or coaching decisions or or anything like that? Uh, yeah, I do think that that played a role. But I think that probably being young didn't help in those situations. Um, I, I'm also very interested in terms of uh, picking up new schemes. Um, yes, Florida has a lot of roster turnover, so maybe there's going to be some like, oh, how quickly will they be able to come together and, and be cohesive as a team? Um, yeah, there are a lot of new pieces, but I think that it's it's always easier to have a bunch of um, older players, uh, older, more experienced players. They're going to pick up new, or they should pick up new schemes, pick up new things um, easier because, yeah, they've been around the block. They've learned a lot of new plays. They've had to scout a lot of teams and play against a lot of different styles of basketball. So, again, I'm like, I look at Florida's team and, and I know there's going to be some people that if they that are going to be like hey let's give them some time at the start of the season to to gel and come together this is a bunch of new guys I don't know we'll, we'll see where my patience level is at but I see a bunch of old dudes and I and I think they should be able to 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 come together pretty well and we'll see what Florida's style of play is I'm pretty interested with that with the, the guys that have picked up but uh, yeah Neil it's a it's a great point that uh, that I mean you know hypothetically Florida could start you know like fifth year Tyree Appleby and um, fourth year Myron Jones and fifth year um, fifth year Flanders Fleming or fifth year Brandon McKissick and fifth year Anthony Deruji and fourth year Colin Castleton. Like, yeah, you could just see this team just, yeah, for once being, being really, really old. And um, that is exciting. And, and, and then the other thing too, that, that should be noted with, um, with Fleming too, um, which Neil, you can definitely uh, put in your piece for for anything more about uh, about the experience level, but uh, as well as the fact that uh, yeah, you've got another all league defender in Flanders Fleming. So um, mm-hmm. having multiple guys that uh, that look like they should be responsible on that end for a Florida team that has not been great defensively uh, the last couple of seasons, uh, that's got to make Mike quite really happy too. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I look, uh, and that's something I, I think I had referenced a little earlier. You're right um, that three of the four pieces that they've gotten in the portal are, are all either, I think, or three of them might actually be conference defensive players of the year. But in any event, um, really high level 
uh, defensive pieces. And, and I think the one that we maybe have the most questions transitioning his defense is Brandon McKissick um, and how it will, you know, translate to the SEC. I don't think that's a problem for Fleming. I think when he's in, he's got a big physical frame. He is a legitimate 6'4". I mean, he looks bigger than that when you watch him on video in that conference. Um, so, you know, I don't think that that's going to be that big of an issue. Um, and, you know, uh, he's got to be hungry to win because some of those Charleston Southern teams have been so bad. Uh, and I think that's another thing I really like about all these guys, like Myron Jones. You know, as Florida, our fans sometimes have kind of, poo-pooed the idea uh, for lack of a better phrase of, of the importance of making the NCAA tournament. And for sure, that's an expectation at Florida. We don't need to rehash that. I think Florida should compete for the second weekend all the time, but um, you know, Myron Jones didn't get the chance he would have had because of COVID to play in a tournament at Penn state. Uh, I think then you look at this kid, Fleming, Charleston Southern is terrible. Brandon McKissick, UMKC, not very good. So CJ Felder, Boston College, not very good. Um, so all these guys, you know, they know if they go to Florida, they're going to have that opportunity. And that makes kids hungry. Uh, that's one of the reasons Anthony Drugi said he wanted to go to Florida. Um, so, uh, you know, I think being old and and super hungry it's a formula that worked pretty well for arkansas from the portal and there's really no reason why mike white who's been good in the portal at evaluating players uh can't succeed with it yeah definitely i i also think you know we didn't mention it but uh the story about getting fleming um somewhat out of nowhere is pretty interesting i mean you mentioned he's from athens and uh there's a lot of georgia fans that thought he was a bulldog for sure and also some virginia fans who thought he was uh gonna go there and um yeah, the story of uh, for those who haven't heard, there's that's kind of out there is like, yeah, he was uh, uh, he was going to commit somewhere else on on Sunday. Uh, Noah Gurley chose not to go to the Gators, and Florida convinced Fleming to not make the commitment that he was going to make. Uh, he held on for a bit and committed to the Gators. So uh, whatever Florida said, whatever the pitch was, um, it must have been pretty good because again, I don't think that you know Florida's landed some guys that they've got in touch with early, whether that's transfers or high school recruits and kind of shown that, um, shown that loyalty and that commitment and, and, and been with them kind of throughout, uh, that did not appear to be the case with Flanders Fleming. They kind of seemed to be like, Hey, um, you, you, well, inherently it seemed like both, uh, it seemed like Fleming was aware that they were waiting on Noah Gurley, didn't get him, And, uh, then they were able to still win over Fleming. So however that did, however that happened, um, great job by the staff. I mean, uh, it's their ability to get guys in the portal has been has been fantastic. And again, I don't think that that I don't think the staff has even got enough credit because again, if you look at a kid out of high school, like a high school recruit, so often you know there really is like five or six or like maybe eight schools that they're looking at. You do see that kids out of high school are a lot more likely to stay close closer to home. But when you get to guys that are in their fourth year of college, it's like they'll go anywhere. Like I shouldn't say a lot of players will go anywhere in the country. And you see with a lot of these transfers, they have schools on the West coast, the Northeast, the Southwest, the sec, like the Midwest, like, like you see a lot of these transfers, like they will, they will go anywhere in the country. So I think when you're recruiting a lot of these, these older guys out of the transfer portal, like you're dealing with, with more schools. So for Florida to be able to, to go out and, and get their guys, I, I just think it's really, really impressive by the staff. And I know that people have kind of been like, 
obviously happy with the staff for getting their guys. I don't think they even realize that it's like, man, they're, they probably, you know, they're beating out more schools for, for Myron Jones than they are beating out schools for a high school recruit. So, uh, man, it's just, it's really impressive. Good for them. And, uh, uh, yeah, I just, uh, definitely want to make that note. Yeah. You kind of stole a little of my next point thunder there, but it's, it's just good to build on that. Eric, uh, is you're seeing different ways to do it right now. I mean, uh, you know, Rick Barnes and Tennessee are, are taking a different tack. They're not winning these portal battles for the most part. Um, and so they've expanded the 2021 class. They've signed two guys uh, in the last week. Uh, one, uh, a three-star, uh, basically a bench warmer from Montverde. I don't mean that with any disrespect whatsoever. If you are on the bench at Montverde, you are good at basketball. Um, but uh, Quentin Dabunje, uh, who didn't have a ranking, straight up Quez Glover on the bench at, at Montverde, commits to Tennessee last week, signs, boom, three-star. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's one guy. And then Jonas Adu uh, comes over uh, after Tennessee hired an assistant. Swamp Recruiting ads uh, in, a, in the comments, the staff is dominating the portal down an assistant. That's true. And – and that's a point on Tennessee is like they hired Justin Ganey uh, to their staff, Eric, from Marquette after Woj got fired and um, not the NBA Woj. Uh, and uh, and like they bring in Jonas Adu, who's a top 100 player, right? And that's great, uh, but that was pretty predictable. Like he would follow the main assistant to wherever that guy went. Uh, so different ways to to attack it. Uh, I heard Mike White say different ways to fry an egg once, which made no sense at all. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't really think that's how the expression goes, Mike. But uh, you do you, brother. Um, you know, uh, definitely doing it that way. I did want to get into recruiting a little bit. Uh, a couple a couple of recruiting notes that I have because I've gotten like four or five DMs. Can you talk about our 2022 recruiting class? Um, I can. It's 2020. Yeah, whatever year will be when they sign in November. Um, So Ben Middlebrooks was a four-star that's still kind of on Florida's radar. Uh, My understanding is it's trending a little more towards Kermit Davis and Virginia Tech right now, kind of a Mike Young, Kermit Davis duel. The idea of a guy who has skill and can handle and can shoot from distance uh, like Ben playing for Mike Young probably makes me salivate more than it should. Um, just thinking of the ways he would utilize him. Uh, but, you know, good for him. He did say Florida's not out of the picture. Uh, he doesn't care about staying close to home, to Eric's previous point. Uh, so I don't think that I – anyone has anything to worry about on that front. I do think Florida's going to get a commitment pretty soon. So I'll break that on Florida basketball art. But I really think uh, four-star guard Chase Cormier is going to pull the trigger pretty soon for Florida. Um, I, do, I think he kind of really, really wants a Florida State offer that's not coming. Um, so uh, I think – you know, he says he, he likes the way that Florida uses their guards. He likes the way that guards develop under Mike White. Um, chew on that. I'm just the messenger. Okay. Uh, so 
uh, I do think that there's a pretty decent chance that Cormier, who's from the Atlanta area, uh, will pull the trigger and be Florida's first um, high school commitment for the next class, Eric. Wow, you guys, uh, you heard it here first. Uh, that's uh, that's great insight, Neil. I mean, I he's like six two, I think. So I I just that Florida State offer might not uh, might not come. I think he also shoots the ball a little bit too well um, for Florida State. <laughs> uh, no, I mean they've they've, they've had too many points. points. <laughs> I, I I joke because. Florida State has been awesome and dominated Florida. And I actually like how they play basketball, which is I, I know some people just don't want to hear. Um, I get it. But, hey, I didn't grow up. I I, I didn't grow up cheering for, uh, you know, Florida football when I was, you know, first understanding college basketball. I just, you know, so so I'm, I'm the, the, the hate needs to grow in me for uh, for the rivals. So um, but anyways, in all seriousness, he does not typically, you know, he does not strike me as a Florida State type player. Um, I'd be a little surprised. But uh, yeah, uh, I mean, hey, one of my deficiencies as someone who covers the Gators, as people know, uh, recruiting is not my forte for sure. Um, so I love that insight from Neil. Um, I did also have a very, uh, very good conversation actually today with uh, with Carrie Taylor, who is the mother of Justin Taylor, a 2022 uh, player that Florida reached out to. Um, yeah, his, his mom was a was a former pro player, uh, very intelligent basketball mind, and she actually found me first and started to read my stuff and ask about some articles because she wants to know everything there is to know about about Florida basketball. So I'm like, man, if the if the mom is this locked in and, and doing her research, um, I think her son is uh, someone I, I'd be interested in. Uh, Justin Taylor, um, forward, uh, just really smooth, uh, good feel for the game. And he's a four star, I believe. So definitely, uh, definitely a little bit. I, I've got to get in a little bit deeper. And she sent me all the film I could have ever asked for, uh, which I very much appreciated from her. So uh, at some point, I will have some some Justin Taylor insight. This uh, this player that Florida's after, and is you know what I'll say it at the top of my big board after talking to his mom because she knows she knows the game. I like it. Uh, by the way, Cormier has offers from like the schools you'd expect a six two guard that can really score to have offers from. Uh, I mean, we're talking Xavier, Ole Miss, Florida, Villanova, probably his best offer. Um, if you don't think Florida's his best offer. So, uh, you know, I mean, that's, those are the kind of guys that the Chase Cormier's of the world get to go play for. Um, I don't know if that FSU offer is, is really coming. And I really can't say for sure that that's like where he really wants to go, but like he has mentioned it in passing on multiple interviews. I found like, Oh, I went to this camp at Florida state (laughs) or like things like that. And it's like, all right. I mean, I get it. But um, I do think he's going to pull the trigger soon. I had a question about Bretner Matumbo. So, um, you know, cause Florida has one scholarship open uh, conceivably while we wait on the Keontae stuff. Uh, Any thoughts on, on adding a high school big to the hall they have now, Eric? Uh, yeah, you just, it, this is 2021. This is going to be a 2021 comment right now, but if you're going to take a, if you're going to take a big, you got to know that he wants to stick around for a little bit. And I, again, I just, I, I use Quez Glover as, as an example. Um, not obviously I just said big, but well, a, any player, any high school player you take, particularly one that's not heralded. And again, I think when Florida offered Bretner and Mutombo, it was a couple of years ago. I think that people saw, you know, six nine, six ten, big, and were just like, "Oh, this guy might blow up." He never really did. I think he's like two hundred and seventieth ish, depending on your ranking of choice. Uh, so a three star. So I mean, hey, it's still that's a great player who's going to have high major offers. Um, but you know, yeah, again, just not someone who's going to go one and done um, or anything like that. So, so anyways, going back to what I was saying with Quez Glover, 
when Florida took Quez Glover, I think that there's a lot of people, including myself, that thought, oh, here's a low-rated to not-rated guy that has an opportunity to come play at Florida. He is going to be content to maybe redshirt, maybe not play his first couple of years, and then start to contribute later in his college basketball career. I think that was the assumption that a lot of people made, including myself. Um, and that was just not the case. He didn't see things that way. He wanted to play. That wasn't going to happen. And now he found a new home at Samford today, So, which is great. Good for him. Um, but... Um, so would I love Bretner Mutombo? You know, I, I do think, yeah, if you could get like a good three-star big that's got a good frame like Bretner Mutombo does, um, that would be great. I, but only if he's the guy who's going to be content to maybe not really play much in his first year. Um, it's, it would be tough for me to see the avenue for him to, to really getting minutes. Um, but year two, maybe. Um, so if, if he's a guy that, uh, yeah, if he's a guy that's willing to do that, um yeah, then 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 sure. I, I would be really interested. Again, you just don't see many guys who were pretty highly rated from the first time they were ranking the 2021 class that are his size that aren't like four star or five star players. So the fact that he kind of started as a guy that was really on the radar and then kind of slowly faded despite being at a really good school. I'd be interested why that happened. Maybe there's nothing to it. Maybe. Yeah, maybe he's just never, you know. A little bit more raw than you'd like to see. Uh, maybe they're starting to rank, you know, big men not as high because they're seeing the way basketball is going. I'm not really sure. I do think it's a little bit interesting that we're at this point where he hasn't committed anywhere and he is a lot more lower rate ranked uh, than we maybe would have expected. But uh, anyways, that's my long winded thoughts on Brett Matumbo. But uh, Neil, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I don't. I actually don't think it's what they're going to do. And let me explain why. Um, I think. I know the staff really likes Jason Jatobo. Uh, I know that because I've been told that. Um, and I know that the issue with Jason Jatobo is conditioning, uh, that Jason had, uh, you know, just had a surgery and, like, it just didn't go that great. He missed part of the Preston Green season um, and is probably a guy who would really benefit from Preston Green for all the weaknesses we've discussed on the show. Uh, getting people into fitness shape is not necessarily a problem for, for Preston, right? Um, it's some of the basketball stuff that we wonder about. Uh, really, Eric wonders about more than me, but it's fine. Um, so Jason missed some of that, never really lost the weight, but from a skill standpoint and a basketball IQ standpoint, they like it, right? Uh, and so that begs the following question. Does Florida have enough? If you look at this roster right now, Eric, where do you have concerns, right? You go, well, they don't really have a backup point guard. Okay. And then you also say, man, their bigs are basically Colin Castleton. And I hope Jason Jatobo gets into shape. Right. And then CJ Felder uh, is, is big. Uh, and can play that spot. We don't know what the deal is with Keontae. So and even if he plays, he's a wing, not a big. So you're really dealing with three bigs. I think they add an experienced big is my guess. Uh, yeah, I can definitely see that. I don't know. Like, those are the players that are just tough to get in the portal. Like, it's just interesting to see those are um, – yeah, those are the ones everyone kind of seems to be after. Uh, the probably most interesting name would be uh, Mbaki Zhang from from uh, UNLV, who Florida reached out to uh, a year ago, two years ago, 
uh, when he was in yeah. the portal when they had the coaching change from from Menzies to uh, to TJ Otzelberger. So and yeah, he's just like as solid, reliable a you know a, a center as you're, you're going to get. Like not great offensively, um, but you know capable catch lobs, offensive rebound, play solid defense. Uh, really solid name. I I I would be. You know, I'd, I'd have to think Florida would get in touch with him. I don't know if they've had the would have the best pitch because again, I do think it's going to be tough for them to land a veteran guy who sees Colin Castleton and and you know CJ Felder and you know, but hey, maybe um, that'll be really interesting. Um, yeah, I wouldn't mind Felder playing some minutes at five if it needed to get there. Mm-hmm. I don't think that would be you know the the best. Um, but yeah, I mean, my I, I don't know. I, I say this and I know that finding this player on the transfer market would be very tough. Um, but I would love to have a six foot seven or six foot six wing. Um, sure. At, Cause right now, you know, you look at that, that small forward spot and it's like, you know, Niles lane or Samson or Sensev or Flanders Fleming, um, all guys that I think could have positive impacts and ha- could have positive impacts in some different ways. But if you could get like a proven wing there, um, that would be like awesome. There's just not that many players out there. There's not that many great wings in college basketball and uh, they're pretty tough to land. So, so I would look at that and then, yeah, I would love to have a backup point guard. Um, that'd be great if they could get one that was like, uh, a freshman or sophomore who transferred out um, that again, might not be looking for a starting role right away that, that, but would, you know, be intrigued to come to Florida. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I could, uh, I could definitely see if they could get someone who is an experienced five, that would be, uh, that'd be really good. And uh, uh, while, yeah, I, I'm, I, I'd love to see Jason Jatobo um, play really well. I, I guess the question is, is, you know, there's, there's some people who have chalked up his, lack of conditioning kind of, I would say rather exclusively to the fact that he's had injury issues and some people who think that it's somewhat in, you know, in the middle of obviously the injuries didn't help, but he has also not really shown through his high school career up until college that he can um, get to high level conditioning. So, so again, the, where the answer is, I I guess we'll see, this might be the year to find out, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure if you want to go in, banking on on him to contribute so uh yeah but if you can get an experienced uh big man that would be that'd be great yeah i mean it's make or break year for jason right i mean i think i think that's the reality and especially in this age of the portal like if it doesn't go well for jason jatobo this year i don't think he's at florida next year but if if he comes and produces then you know he's a classic example of a guy who could be a get old and get good uh type of college player. There's no reason for that because I think a fit Jason Jatobo is a guy that's really skilled and while not maybe as athletic as John Bunu, um, similar frame, maybe a little more polished, a little more better hands, uh, better post moves. Um, you know, I know like Malik Grady likes to send us that video of pre-surgery Jatobo looking fit and like with the little duck under dunk, um, you know, and, and yeah, I mean, all that would be great. I had to post this, put this up from G Fern Jr. Mason Miller, Mike as an assistant coach package deal. Hey man, if I, like I kind of thought Mason Miller would be like just a great guy to have, just because you know your legacy goes to your school. I don't think they're going to hire Mike Miller as their uh, assistant though, um, and I get why people think maybe that's not the worst idea in the world, but I don't think that's the direction that the staff is going to go or should go. Um, <laughs> he, he adds uh, 
dream. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, you know, Mason Miller is going to be a nice player at Creighton, though, if that's where he uh, sticks out. He's got to get stronger, and, and it's not as good a shooter as dad, but that's not like a crime. Um, <laughs> so uh, there is that. Look, I do think a big is probably the direction that they'll go in the portal or a wing. I don't think with this many secondary ball handlers and this much depth now in the backcourt, it's going to be another guard, Eric. Did I lose everybody? Or did I lose Eric? Eric might have froze on me. Yep. Well, anyway, I don't think it's going to be another guard that they uh, are going to end up adding here. Um, so we will see when Eric comes back. Uh, oh, I've got him. Maybe. Up oh, now. Oh, I have we'll him. Yeah, we'll see. I, 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 I think I had a little bit of the the Malik uh, from the other day when I was just way behind there for a little bit, but hopefully you got me now. Um, but no, yeah. I think like again, you you see that Florida has a lot of guys that are not primary ball handlers, but are most comfortable at the the two and three. Um, so there's definitely a lot of guys there. I do wonder if they, they might like McKissick as, as a backup point guard. So that would be it's fine. Um, that'd be, that'd be okay. Like I said, kind of earlier, I don't think he's great in that role, but if it's um, McKissick and Flanders Fleming's out there and Kwesi Reeves is out there. So he's got, you know, two guys who can handle the ball kind of with him. Um, that's going to be a lot better than when Florida put guys who couldn't really handle the ball in and next to, Noah Locke and Scotty Lewis because it was just like, hey, you're the only guy who can handle the ball, so make it happen, Quez, and it just didn't go well. So, so yeah, I think it, you could get away with with McKissick when he's, you know, yeah, maybe out there with with Reeves and and uh, Fleming. Um, so that'll be interesting, but yeah, Niles Lane definitely. I mean, that's definitely a part of his game that will be interesting to see if it's it's kind of unleashed. I mean, yeah, he had that had those skills in high school. So, uh, yeah, I, I I am with you on the big. I guess for me, it's just like how many of those guys are out there, I guess would kind of be my, my, my question. And, and again, it's like a, a guy like a backy Zhang um, from, from UNLV. It's just like for, I think he's in his fourth or fifth year now. And that's obviously what your quality bigs are going to be like. And you want to say like, Hey, um, you know, we'd love to have you at the university of Florida, this reason, this reason, this reason. Um, but we also have Colin Castleton coming back. So you're maybe going to be capped at like 15 minutes a game. Maybe, I don't know. It's just maybe a tough pitch to get, to get a, a quality guy there. I, I don't know, but uh, we'll see. Hey, who am I to tell Florida? They can't go get someone in the portal. Yeah, for sure. They've, uh, they've certainly certainly shown that they, they can do it. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what they're doing with, with that last spot. Um, great question uh, from Neil Lammers at CLT Gator who asked, um, do you believe Mike White knew he'd have this much turnover before the beginning of the season or at least once the dust settled from the Keontae situation? Um, from the start of the season to that, I, I, I don't think he would have known that early, but I think like mid-season, I think he knew that there was going to be this little changeover. I think that um, – Again, I think Noah Locke surprised us, but by all accounts, it didn't surprise the coaching staff. They seemed very aware that was going to happen. And some of the other guys, um, I want to choose my words carefully here because I don't want to say that Florida's coaching staff pushed these guys out, but maybe nudged some guys out that left. And uh, I'm sure 
some of them were already thinking that they were probably thinking they'd want to go elsewhere. Um, but uh, I, I think Florida was also ready. Florida staff was ready to move on from some of these guys. So, um, and again, that was something that I thought was pretty funny about all this, you know, exodus of players that wanted to leave Florida and the people who thought that that was, you know, Florida's bad culture and, and all that when it was like, <laughs> you know what? I, I think um, Florida was as ready to move on from some of these guys as, uh, as, as they were. So, so yeah, I won't say that Florida knew that early that they would have this much turnover, but um I think probably, you know, mid-season, I think that they were probably fairly aware that they'd have this turnover. And let's also remember, too, I, I mean, let's I, I think that Florida always positioned themselves in a way that um, the, that they were going to be set up for the one-time transfer by not taking a bunch of 2021 high school recruits. They, I, I just think they were always set up to want to go hard to the portal this season or this, this offseason. Um, and uh, so, so there's, that's something to add as well. Well, and I'll add that I think that – Let's say, you know, if we, we would all do this if we could, but let's say that doesn't happen to Keontae Johnson. Florida knew that Keontae Johnson and Trey Mann weren't going to be in Gainesville next year if, if Keontae stays healthy. Because one of them was going to be in the lottery and the other one was going to be maybe in the lottery. So, um, you know, they knew they were going to lose at least two. They probably knew they were going to lose Scotty Lewis. Uh, so really, I think three spots, they were almost certain that they were going to lose. And then I think you could circle the names Quez Glover and Omar Payne in particular and said, let's see what happens with them this season. Uh, but it's the age of the transfer portal. So that's five. So I guess my answer is probably, uh, you know, quite honestly, when you look at, when you look at it, you know, and we've discussed this and don't need to rehash or re reiterate the point from earlier, Eric. But I mean, Osayo Sifo is probably the most surprising if you really analyze the whole situation. And that's just because this is somebody that they convince themselves that they should take over a high four star recruit. And now he's gone in 10, not even yet, yeah, 10 months. Um, so I think that's, that's maybe the surprise, but if you, if you really look at it, like maybe, you know, yeah, they, like you said, Eric, they were positioning themselves to, to be players in the portal and they identified people, um, that, you know, clearly they liked I mean, you look at, look at some of the names they've taken and I don't mean to be going on. I know I've ranted a couple times tonight and I'm sorry for that, Eric, but look at some of the people that they've taken Brandon McKissick. UMKC played Oral Roberts. They watched him on film, I'm sure, right? They knew they, – they had chances to observe him while they were still playing basketball and said, that guy's good. Um, you know, Fleming, like you said, is definitely the most surprising one because it's like where would they have gotten that video? Um, but oh, And he, he, uh, he missed when uh, – he missed the game when, when, they, uh, when they played the Gators a couple years ago. Yeah, there you go. There so you they go. didn't see him there even, yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, Myron Jones, Florida was going to play Pitt State this year, right? Um, that was a game the Gators were going to play, and everybody in the South recruited Myron Jones, even if Florida wasn't, like, heavy in on him at the end. You know, his offer sheet was – he was Mr. Alabama. Um, so, you know, they were well aware of what his capabilities were. C.J. Felder, they played Boston College. 
Uh, so you see what I'm saying? Like, I think that these guys were, there was a process to this and a method to it. And that's probably why they hit on so many of them so fast. That's a great point that there is some connections there. And uh, Hey, if I'm running a division one program right now, uh, I'm being extremely proactive, which with uh, what players could hit the portal and uh, that you could go get, I, I'm not waiting for the end of the season and the transfer portal to open up. I'm, uh, I'm trying to find these guys a lot earlier than that. And uh, again, that's something where as, as we get to the ability to, to predict how these guys are going to fit at the high major level, um, I think that that's just going to be an important part of, of, of basketball moving forward. So um, d- definitely, uh, definitely well done up by the staff. I mean, we'll see exactly how, uh, you know, once it's, once it's on the court, um, uh, how much these guys work out, but I mean, I can definitely find myself, like, like I'm very excited about CJ Felder. I am quite excited about Myron Jones. I'm fairly excited about um, uh, about Brandon McKissick, and I'm like super intrigued by Flanders Fleming. So definitely, like all great takes, all good players, and I do think we're at the point. Uh, well, I guess you could disagree with this, Neil, uh, but I think we could. I, I, I think getting Flanders Fleming, we are at the point where Florida has uh, definitely gotten more production in than they have uh than they lost this offseason and that's uh that's all you can really ask for in the offseason yeah i think they upgraded the roster and I, I think they upgraded it significantly um mainly because they've just become like i said they became balanced and they became old jason franzen uh agreed with us on on osifo by the way and and has a lot of insight as a high school coach in the state of a very good team um and said, you know, the staff really liked Osifo. So I bet that one did sting just to have been wrong about it. Um, but, you know, uh, obviously they liked his work ethic because he went to Jacksonville to play for Mincy. Yeah, I mean, everyone loves him, and I think that's a good level. I am just truly intrigued. Like, again, I am someone – I like, I watched every minute he played in junior college, and I came away fairly unimpressed and not seeing a pathway for him to be a good player at Florida. I am truly interested in what they saw. Like, I, like that is one thing that like I, I've thought about asking and, and it's just, it wouldn't be that helpful of a question. So I'm not going to ask, but again, it's just, like, <laughs> I, I just truly, that's going to be still one that uh, is going to stick with me for a while about, about that evaluation. But, uh, um, but also, Hey, I guess there's, there's times you got to bet on some guys work ethics and, um, and by all accounts, Osifo was awesome work ethic, awesome kid. And I think you kind of see the fact that uh, the fact that Mitzi wants him. Um, yeah, that's that speaks to uh, how good of a kid he is. So um, definitely get to cheer him on. I'm very intrigued to watch him at that level, and that that'll be good. But uh, uh, hey, I mean, that's the other thing too. Scouting high school kids, it can be tough to evaluate. Watching junior college, apparently, can be tough to evaluate. Um, but yeah, you go watch a Big Ten game and see Myron Jones. Um, a lot easier to project that to the SEC. Yeah, super coachable kid, as, as uh, Jason says here in the comments. Uh, chance to be a great role player, maybe, but now a chance to, to be a starter probably at Jacksonville. So good for him. Swamp recruiting Mike White being a portal god is going to set us up so well in the future. Yeah, I mean, he's been really good at it. Um, you know, Darius Nichols pretty good at it too. Uh, I think one of the most underrated recruiters in America. Uh, whether he's talking to transfers or – or recruiters, he's just really, really good at it. Uh, what says, yeah. If I'm a, if I'm a kid and I'm you know like playing whatever, I don't care if I'm a high school player or someone who just put my name in transfer portal. And there's all these like 
old white dudes who are calling me and then Darius Nichols calls me and I talk to all these old white dudes. Then I talk to Darius Nichols. Like I'm for sure coming to Florida. Like again, I, I, I think I'm, I'm really glad that you shouted out Darius Nichols, who I do think is doing a whole lot of the work right now. I'm um, not, not that that's not a, yeah, I'm sure the, I know the other guys are too, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, all those guys are. And I mean, I think who it was McKissick who, who mentioned how many direct calls he had with Mike white versus how many other assistants he was dealing at dealing with at other, other schools. I think that's like worth noting that that's pretty cool. That, that McKissick is like, yeah, a lot of assistants were calling me from other teams. And then, you know, I was on the phone with Mike white for 45 minutes. Um, that's bad. <laughs> Uh, Tracy, Tracy, no one, nobody wants to hang out with old white dudes. Sorry. Uh, yeah. I mean, again, like, is I, I, I just think I, yeah, I'm with you, Tracy. Um, I'd much rather go play for, for Derek Nichols. There's no question. So, so yeah, pretty awesome work by them. And I, I, I did hear as well that, um, you, you know, obviously Florida does have an open assistant spot, um, that there hasn't been a lot of noise on recently and i have heard that they haven't been doing much on that front um which is pretty interesting that they're not in a rush to go get a guy um and hire him and, and get him reaching out to some of these guys like they're looking to take their time and i think part of it is like well they're they're cooking and they're recruiting they're cooking in their the, the portal uh clearly they're not in a huge rush and um but yeah they're they're covering a lot of ground with just the three of them and yeah full full respect yeah uh my so i think i mentioned on some of these podcasts you know, Eric has his people that he talks to in the sport is privileged enough to do analysts and, and as a like a, a football journalist sometimes, too. But I, I developed a lot of relationships, both coaching and through journalism and do know some assistants. And one of the most intuitive ones that I talk to is, is um, on the staff at Kentucky. And uh, his comment about Florida and the portal was pretty funny. He said, you know, the Gators are killing it at the portal. And I said, yeah, they haven't, they've got that coaching vacancy. And he goes, it tells me that they're hiring someone to do something for the offense, mm. that their hire is going to be schematic, that they are not worried about bringing in a recruiter. And I was like, that's a really interesting point uh, that had kind of sailed over my head. Um, and it, it would make sense. Um, you know, it is funny that like, Florida's basically their basketball rival also recognizes that that's what Florida's problem is. Um, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I, I, I want to get to this question from, I want to get to two more listener questions before we wrap up. Uh, Jared Villamar, longtime listener asked great questions. He says, is getting the guards more of an impact than getting Gurley would have been? I think so, but I'm interested in Eric's take on this. Uh, yes, I, I, I do think so. I, I think that Gurley, um, I really like Gurley, really fun to watch. I, I, I Again, I've mentioned this on, on the podcast. I know it is not the efficient way to play basketball. I know it's not the best way to play basketball. I love watching guys who are really good at post-ups. Like that is my guilty pleasure is watching guys who shoot like 44% on post-ups and are at like, yeah, 0.88 points per possession. And I know it's not a good shot, but just like have awesome post moves. I, I love watching it. And that is definitely girly. Uh, someone who's really, really talented in the mid post. I, a lot of his stuff, honestly, like reminded me of DeMar DeRozan, which I know it's like Noah Gurley's a power forward and DeMar DeRozan's a shooting guard, but like watching the way that DeMar DeRozan uses his footwork and in, in the mid post, it reminded me a, a lot of Noah Gurley or Noah Gurley reminded me a lot of DeMar DeRozan. And um, so I really like that. But again, it's like how much of his game would, would really translate. Um, not uh, not entirely sure. And um, I, I think too, uh, and, and again, a, a coach in his uh, a coach in his league 
um, told me that, um, uh, he, you know, regarding how he's, his game is going to translate, he said that, you know, maybe the best uh, – told me that maybe the best thing that he thought he would, he would be able to do in the SEC is offensive rebound. And, you know, that's great. But if that's your number one skill at the high major level, um, yeah, maybe – maybe not uh yeah maybe not a huge impact guy i mean we'll see i, I think he's going to fit really well with with alabama um but yeah i, I don't know if he would have had the, the most major impact and and for florida it's like man they, they needed guards guards are the number one most important thing in college basketball um and they got good ones so f- for florida to be lacking guards and then filling them with good ones that definitely is, is more of an impact than if they would have gotten Gurley. even though i would have still been i would have loved Gurley and been very excited by him yeah, I think that landing C.J. Felder, although there's not that offensive skill set with C.J., um, you know, had they not landed Felder, probably a much different conversation. Definitely a much different conversation. But they did land C.J. Felder, so I think it makes uh, it makes that conversation, you know, a little bit different. Um, I think, Jared, it's a good question though. Um, another good question came from Florida fan fifteen fifteen. It says, uh, can you guys give me a projected starting five for next season with the roster as is? Oh, do you, do you want to start? Because I know you've already kind of teased yours with uh, with no Flanders Fleming. I know I know you said that. Do you want to start? Yeah, I'll do it. So I've got uh, Tyree Appleby as the point guard. Um, I've got Myron Jones at the two. Um, I am going – uh, with probably my most controversial homerish selection of Niles Lane as the three. Um, and then I'm going Felder Castleton. I, I don't hate that at all. I mean, I'm going to say very not confidently um, Tyree Appleby, Myron Jones. Um, and then at the forward spots, I also have CJ Felder and Con Castleton. So I think the only place to say um, what's going to change is that at the three, um, I, I do think it's going to be Quasey Reeves. I'm going, I'm going to, I'm going to say that his, his scoring um, and his, his length, I think that they're just going to, going to look at again. They're going to be a little bit undersized with Tyree Appleby, not great athleticism with, with Myron Jones. Um, I think they're going to want to get someone with some, some length and some, um, some explosiveness, which again, that that's a little bit of, of Niles Lane. who has got good size and can really defend and handle the ball a little bit. Wouldn't surprise me at all, but um, I, I think I'll go, I think I'll go Quasey Reeves though. I'm not, uh, again, I say this, Without a lot of a lot of, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not totally sold on this. I'm definitely not like gonna gonna bet on it or anything. But uh, um, why why do you say uh, Niles Lane? Um, despite uh, like you said, you have some some. <laughs> you you didn't have to give the quantifiers of of Homer pick, but uh, yeah, why I mean, why would you like to see him or think it'll be him? He's a really good passer, which I don't know if Kawasi Reeves is yet. But when you watch Niles on film, that actually stands out. Like his ability to get in the paint, but also make a secondary pass. I don't think that there's any difference really as a secondary ball handler. I think both of them are going to be pretty comfortable with that. Uh, and I do think Kowasi is a much better shooter um, and, and offers more offensively though. I push back against the people who don't think that Niles has any offensive skill set. I don't think that's true. I just think it's very hard when you play 81 minutes all season, how much can you really show that? Um, and it's a point we've made on the podcast. Look, I'll say this. You might be right that Kowasi starts. I think Niles is too good defensively to not have minutes next year in double digits. And I think that he's a guy that's going to surprise a lot of people. 
uh, next season. They the, you talk about a guy that the staff raves about his work ethic. I mean, that is all you hear about him is that he works his rear end off. Um, so I think, and you know, he had played a lot of minutes and then apparently had an ankle injury, like after his biggest minute game. Uh, so he was snake bit a little bit by that, just like his senior year, he fell from a mid grade four star to a high three because he got mono basically. Um, so, you know, I'm hoping that he's healthy, but I think you're right. What I'll say to Florida fan fifteen fifteen and all the listeners is I'm more and more, and I was on uh ESPN radio in Baton Rouge this week talking about um, Florida's portal and, and the new world of the transfer portal and stuff. And I said, Florida has got a decent chance to be next year's Arkansas. And I said, it's the weirdest thing to say because Arkansas is still Arkansas. I said, but look at the way they're building the team. And I know I mentioned balance at least three or four times tonight, but you have balance scoring your old, uh, you're bringing in a top 25 freshman who can really shoot. Um, and you kind of are curious as to who the actual point guard is, but you got a bunch of dudes that can handle the ball. And you're probably going to be pretty vicious on the glass. Like, wasn't that Arkansas? Um, oh, and you don't run anything on offense. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but uh, so that's, that's my like kind of, take that I brought to ESPN radio and I wanted to leave that to the pod. Cause I, I like, you're looking at if, if, if either of our starting fives are right, you're still feeling pretty good about your rotation opportunities with your second group. Oh yeah. I mean, like I, so we've got four of the same starters. So it, it, four positions or spots in the rotation five to eight. Um, if that's Kwesi Reeves, Niles Lane, Brandon McKissick, Flanders Fleming. I mean, that's pretty Whatever, whatever combination those guys enter the game, that's that's pretty awesome. And again, I think um, if if Jason Chobo is is healthy, I think a lot of us really like him for for what he's what he has shown when he's been on the floor has been good. So if it, and that's been when he's been overweight. So um, if he comes healthy, I, I think we're pretty excited about about him in that role. And um, and even like yeah, Samson Rusensev, another player who um, showed that he could shoot the ball pretty well. Yeah, if that ends up being your ninth guy, um, yeah, that's 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 pretty intriguing. So uh, definitely excited for for uh, I'm excited that we we don't know for sure what the starting five is going to be, and that there is some room for like um, what player is going to be able to win it out. And it actually seems like there's going to be some like legitimate competition in practice and um, at the end of summer and and early fall for uh, for these minutes. Uh Dwayne Shensis is the answer to this question, Tracy. The tallest <laughs> player the Gators ever had. I think he's like uh, seven, seven two, maybe. Yeah, um, that's that's gotta that's gotta be it. That's yeah. yeah. So Neil, do you have any? Uh, I think you better close on on any Masters takes that uh, that you might have. Well, I'll say fun fact: uh, Joe Kim Noah had a Trey man, and they listed him at six uh, eleven as a freshman. And, you know, because everybody was talking about, oh, Trey Man grew. And I like, I was like, it was so funny that nobody mentioned that Joe Kim Noah grew because <laughs> he came back. And as a sophomore, he was seven feet tall and the media guy. Um, you know, I don't know if he shrank when he got to the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> but, but they definitely had him uh, – at seven feet masters takes first of all everybody that played the fbh masters pool thank you that was super fun 
it really does make the tournament far more enjoyable. Um, like, you know, also far more irritating because like when Xander Shuffle made a triple bogey on 16 at the end of the tournament, I knew that it was not going to be my money. Um, but shout out to Nick De La Tour, uh, for winning. Um, that's amazing. And, uh, you know, shout out to Eric for rallying and finishing in the top 10 on uh, Sunday, despite shunning his uh, Canadian master who would have helped, helped a lot. But Eric, in Eric's defense, I don't think he knew that Casey Connors was like. <laughs> I did not know he was Canadian. And if I would know, have known he was Canadian, I still would not have picked him. And uh, because I just tried so hard to. Uh, so, so I'll tell you this, Neil. And um, your father should know after sponsoring <laughs> my place in the world that I researched hard. Um, it maybe was not the most efficient research because I'm not very smart at golf, as in I don't really know much about golf. But I researched hard and uh, not hard not hard enough to know that that player was Canadian. But again, I, I think that just people get in so much trouble with fantasy and with pools when they when they pick with their heart. So even if I knew he was Canadian, that would have for sure been said like, no, no way I can pick him. There's a reason I didn't pick Billy Horschel either, which you know maybe ended up being good. But he was amazing on the hot mic. Hey, you mentioned that. Uh, um, it makes it way more fun. Uh, 100% true. I mean, I watched so much of the Masters, way more than I've ever watched before. I was dialed in on Thursday and Friday. So by being in the pool, I was way more engaged. I had a great time watching. My wife had a great time watching. So I'm already looking forward to next year. So my, so the pool definitely helped my enjoyment. And uh, yeah, I was, I was fired up. I mean, Abraham Answer, uh, when he took that two-stroke penalty for, for grounding his club, mm. I didn't even know what that meant. Um, I was watching the film. I, w- I, was, I was fired up. Um, obviously he didn't really play, but, but at the time it happened, I was, that's how into it. I was, um, I was fired it up. Neil, I made the pimento cheese. Um, I wanted to ask you about how you're, you know, if you, if you partook in that tradition this year and what that was like. Um, and, uh, but yes, I, I made the famous, yeah. And it was far easier to find pimento peppers, uh, than I thought it would be as well, which was helpful. Did you like it? I did. Um, it was a lot better. You know, I didn't know that blue cheese was going to play a role. And I think that the blue cheese in there really, really helped it. I went no mayo. It was really thick. And I like yeah. that. Though I've yeah. got to say, because I, because I, my, my, like what I've had it in the past, which is usually at like a nice event and it comes out on like a cracker. Um, it's usually a little bit like, yeah, a little bit like looser. And I didn't like that as much. I went no mayo in, in this one, and it was it was thick and really good. Uh, but Neil, I've got to tell you, I don't. I hope this isn't sacrilegious to your you know fifth generation recipe. But what was even better um, was I made it into a grilled cheese or a toasty for any of our you know British listeners, and that was even better. And That's definitely- uh, I. It's not sacrilege at all. Okay, okay. Then I'm glad I did. I didn't defile the uh, the, yeah. the sanctity of the of the the fifth generation recipe. And I've got to say, the the, the grilled cheese, pimento cheese, was yeah, that was, that was special. That's a power move, and um, and one that that we definitely respect us fifth generation <laughs> Georgians with with these recipes. Um, I will close with the uh, fun fact from Tracy here that Joe Kim was in her anthropology class and sat in the front row so she could never (laughs) (laughs) see the notes. I will say (laughs) freshman me took plants and people plants, people and you with Udonis Haslam. Um, What an enticing class name. Wow. And Udonis also sat in the front row and my man asked so many questions. 
like, it was outrageous. Like, because most of these people were in there just trying to take a class to get a science credit and an easy A. And, like, Udonis took his plants, people, and you serious, y'all. Like, I mean, he has so many damn questions. <laughs> I hope he's. I hope he's retained some of that knowledge. I hope that he just, you know, sees something growing out there and and, and remembers something from that class. But I mean, I'm thinking about Joakim Noah rolling into like a 9 a.m. anthropology class or whatever, and like it's not only his pure height. I'm also imagining just the pure volume of his hair on a like humid Florida morning. <laughs> like like yeah, there's the the sheer the sheer height, but I'm imagining his hair just also being in in, in such a way that would also uh, make visibility difficult. So. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a challenge, Tracy. I can I can see how that would have been an issue. So I the class I had with Haslam was his second semester of his senior year too. So like he's just asking all these questions so that he can make sure he graduates right. And mm-hmm. I just remember it was like particularly cold the first two months of that winter, and and Udonis had like this giant Gators starter jacket that he wore. <laughs> it's like my dude, you could tell he was from Miami. He's like this big starter parka. On. and it's like 60 you know and i was like uh so I, i'm surprised i hadn't told you that story yet it's like that's amazing i'm sure you find these things pretty hilarious but uh anyway so that's uh <laughs> that's that's uh those are fun facts that we're gonna close with um i appreciate everybody that's that's listening uh if we didn't get to your listener questions in season review part four I'm sure there will be season review part five just around the corner. So uh, thanks, everybody, and and, uh, have a good night.